Welcome to episode 16 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. My name is Adam McKinnon, your host, and joined as always by my co-host, Jim Passon Jr. Jim? Hey, good evening. Glad I made it here. And I'm glad, you, glad you're here, too. I'm glad I'm here, too. But we're especially glad that Hannah Kaiser is here with us, national baseball writer for Yahoo Sports. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's uh, I already gave, already gave them a little bit of shit am i allowed to say shit i get yeah, a little bit of shit it's for, fine. For, for taping late at night which is like a very un-baseball writer thing to do i'm probably the only baseball writer who's like an avowed morning person y- you might yeah yeah okay I'll, I'll, I'll i will give you that i i think everyone has just been super nice to us but in the back of their mind they think why the hell are we taping at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> Eastern time. It definitely, if they're not bothered by it, that bodes well because baseball games also very late at night and I have a terrible time with that. I'm always unhappy about how late they end. You know, and I can appreciate it. We had a, we, an awesome guest, Kevin McAlpin from the, uh, uh, from uh, 680 The Fan down here in Atlanta. And he, and he was like, hey guys, look, we gotta, we gotta make this happen because it, because I'm trying to manage my bedtime in the off season. I was like, <laughs> very good point. Very good point. Yeah. Well, this, we this can't... off-season living, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's January too. It's like the peak of slow off-season. Is, uh, is it? Tell that to last week. Well, that, that and we are going to get to that. <laughs> well, that is going to be a thing. Yeah. Um. Welcome, welcome, and I. You know, I. I'm going to ask you. Uh, get right into. It. I wanted to ask you a question that I ask everyone. Mm-hmm. What is, what is Hannah Kaiser's baseball origin story? Where Where does it start? What is the genesis of Hannah Kaiser's baseball life? Uh, so I was a Phillies fan growing up, grew up outside of Philly, outside of Philly. See, people get mad when I say I'm from Philly because I'm actually from Jersey, but it's very close. We did our grocery shopping at the Reading Terminal Market, which is in downtown Philly because that's how close. Um, big Phillies fan. My mom was a Mets fan and my dad was a Phillies fan. So the right. rivalry really, really dominated our, our, our childhood. I'm one of four kids, so like we went to a lot of Mets-Phillies games primarily for the chance to like talk shit to our mother yeah um who like only fair uh, only fair yeah my mom is the world's like biggest met fan like she is she's like a big fancy corporate lawyer and her like corner office and her fancy law firm is all mets it's like mets bobbleheads and like mets posters and it sounds like she's asking for it really to be honest with you exactly and she lives in philly-ish still so yeah accountability Um, guys uh, I was a big Phillies fan. I had a bunch of pet lizards. They were all named Lenny Dykstra. That has not aged well. Um, <laughs> actually, one of them was named Ricky Vitalico, but it died super quickly, so we went back to Lenny. Aww. Just in case. Wow, I'll take a Ricky Vitalico. Jim, I, I, is that a first uh, Ricky Vitalico reference on the That's show? easily the first, yeah. And it sounds like the poor <laughs> lizard lasted about as long as Ricky Vitalico did. Right, but, right. I'm yeah, waiting for a Mickey Morandini uh, you know, lizard coming up next. Yeah, yeah but I, my sister's favorite player growing up was Mickey Morandini. We had like, the thing is like, we had like a super '90s Phillies childhood. Like my sister and I shared a room, and we had like a big Pat Burrell life-size poster, like a life-size. It was like a giveaway at some game, and it was like, um, like measure your height again. <laughs> so it was like Pat Burrell was real Pat Burrell sized, and then you could measure yourself against him. Um, so we kept this poster for like 10 years. We had Pat Burrell. It's a di- um, it, it was a different time. I, I having grown up outside of Philadelphia, also not in Philadelphia, but outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. The, the, the Pat Bur- Mickey Morandini's uh, son plays on my youngest brother's baseball team. And what? it is. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrity drop, celebrity drop, but it was, uh, Dang, yeah, man. it was something he, he's a, he, yeah, he's something that kid. Weirdest. When I played baseball, I was kind of named after a famous Philly too. I mean, 
uh, my father was always yelling wild thing at me and i was like yes i'm mitch williams right wow it, it wasn't a good thing now yeah <laughs> I wasn't good at baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my, you you can make the argument that Mitch Williams had his moments too. Um, easily the best Philly. Yeah, easily, easily. Um, so Hannah, you know, you've written a kind of a, you've had kind of an interesting journey. Like you've written for Deadspin. I, I've seen articles from Mental Floss, Vice. You're currently with Yahoo Sports. You know. From the time you started writing, because I, I know that you, you had mentioned like a lot of your emphasis is more on, on culture and uh, baseball culture and things like that. Um, you know, how has that, from, the, from day one to today, how, how do you think that's changed? How has that evolved since you've gotten into the game? Sort of my focus? Yes. Or the, like, I mean, this job is, it's interesting how this job is, I've been at Yahoo for less than a year. So last year was my first season um, as our national baseball writer, and usually when I when I try to explain to people because I wrote about I've written about sports for whatever seven years. Um, opening day last year was the first time I've ever been credentialed to cover a baseball game. Wow, so it was a very big departure from from what I'm sort of doing at Deadspin. Um, it was interesting to go that direction. So I, I never had a beat job. I was never a beat writer. I was never like like a stringer. I didn't work at a newspaper or anything. I, and I think, um, the job I have now is like phenomenal and I have so much fun with it. And it was a more of a shock than I even realized that it would be. I think this is like probably more inside journalism than, than people who care about baseball and want to know, but like the jump from sort of like dead spin to vice was very familiar, even though that right. was going from writing about sports to I actually wrote about food at vice. Um, and sometimes people say, you know, why did you write about food? I thought you were a sports writer. And I say, the real question is, why did I stop writing about food? Perks were much better. Fact, <laughs> fact. <Yeah. laughs> that was a great, uh, a great stretch of my life. I miss, I miss writing about food. Um, no, so this, it is the job I have now. Um, I have a greater appreciation for the process of reporting and, and how, sports journalism works just because um which is not to say that blogging was easy or that you know things we did there weren't great work i think that some of the best journalists i've i mean definitely some of the best journalists i've ever met were at deadspin but it was just uh the hardest thing about covering baseball is the grind and right. i did not experience that until this year so that <laughs> How my life has changed is that uh, now I have to stay up very late to watch baseball games for one thing. Um, right. But just it was it. Uh, it's I think that that has allowed I think going the route that I had allowed me to see the bigger picture in some of the ways because it's like the real the real tension in covering baseball is balancing the sort of nitty gritty with the big picture and you can kind of fall victim to both. Like you can sort of take a day off and then feel like you missed 15 baseball games and you're completely behind. Or you can like, you know, watch 162 games for one team and feel like you can predict who's going to be out of the bullpen in every situation. Right. And, and, and trying to strike that balance, uh, is a, is a, a most that trying to strike that balance is what I spend a lot of my time thinking about Right. <laughs> covering 30 baseball teams. Um, and I think, that I benefit from having done the sort of blogging thing, which is like, you know, a very much like a sort of 3000 foot in the air bird's eye view of like, you're not in any clubhouses. You sort of only know what news trickles up and out and you're always sort of tracking the biggest stories. And then um, when you're in the clubhouses, it can feel like every little thing is the biggest. So, so, so figuring out the balance between those two has been like a really interesting progression do you feel like i i had this struggle because not not as a i haven't been writing for extremely long but i find it very hard like the stuff that i write for my own website i find much more enjoyable because it's sort of frozen in time like i can always go back and reference it as opposed to like when i write for like call to the pen i'm oh it's like news oriented it's like it, you got to write about it in that moment yeah. that day do you is do you find that to be more difficult or is that is that kind of what you're talking about with the balance i think that i mean it's funny because i think that um well two things one i found that you can sort of i 
there's it's writing is so broad that it's like almost saying that you write is like not doesn't tell you anything like even within this job like it's like it's really really interesting how like sometimes i'll be writing like these like you know very like musing essays on fandom or whatever and then sometimes i'm writing like you know domingo herman got suspended for this number of days and and it's interesting because it's like the skill for those is very different and sometimes i'll feel like this i'll have like a really big story and that really big story is really only big because of the particular time and then it doesn't hold up at all the flip side is that like sometimes i feel like i actually not waste but sometimes i'll be like oh i had a really like beautiful sentence in like a game story about the giants in july and i'll be like what waste almost like i'll never i'll never link back to that or whatever like I actually had that exact, I was like reading old stories because whatever, it was the end of the year. They were filming in January, we're taping this in January. Right. It was the end of the year and I was like reading old stories um, and I read like a giant story and I was like, man, what a good paragraph. I don't even remember <laughs> writing that. Like, I had some great ideas in it. and I had like no memory of it because I like definitely did not remember that I had written 750 words off this like Giants game in July. I nailed it right in the middle of the season of a lost season for the Giants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you could be, you could be, you know, it could be a Mariners game. Could be a, you know, could I mean, could be worse. Right. That season's that season's already lost, and we haven't started it yet. So, what was that Family um, Guy gag about the Mets? You know, the first pitch and the season's over. <laughs> and now, how for being a national baseball writer, uh, do you have? Uh, home office time or is your home office always on the road I mean how do you how do you figure out where you're gonna be yeah uh, I'm working on I'm working on planning my spring training travel right now and that is complicated enough um, I mean uh, I was surprised at how much I wasn't home this off season it's crazy it's like the playoffs end and I did GM meetings in Scottsdale owners meetings in Arlington winter meetings in San Diego and then I went to umpire camp in Vero Beach. Um, so I am. Uh, what happens in umpire camp? They teach people how to be umpires, and it's very silly. <laughs> Angel Hernandez just yells at everybody. Yeah. Um, no, umpire camp is actually fascinating, and it's a feature that I'm working on. And uh, if the news slows down, again, we're referencing the news. We'll get to that later. If the news slows down, I'll actually get to write that piece. I've like been sitting on, on all of that reporting for since December. Um, no, so I am home. Ugh. I try to be home a couple days a week. Wow. I'm not, I'm not always. I was on the road for all of October. Um, I'll be on the road for most of spring training. So. But during the season, you'll still try to find a way to get home twice a week or for a couple days a week. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm in New York, so there's two teams, and so you can always get the team that's coming through. Conveniently, I couldn't. Um, I mean, I. The person who had this job before me was Jeff Passan, and I don't think he struggled with it. Seems to have done a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine doing this job out of like a city where you couldn't be home. Like Kansas, he's he's from Kansas City, if anyone doesn't know, uh, and um, that seems harder. <laughs> right. <laughs> because at least I get twice as many chances that like the team that's interesting will be passing through my hometown. Um, and and then also like league offices and stuff. Um, so I try to be home a fair amount. Uh, did, did, was there any pressure associated with that? Did you feel any kind of pressure coming? I mean, having come from a kind of a different environment yes. and then you're taking over pressure taking Jeff's job. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, do you get to talk to Jeff? Uh, yeah, he and I are, he and I are, are old friends actually. Um, so, so he knew me before I took the job. Um, no, I feel a tremendous amount of pressure actually. And the fact <laughs> I, I usually, I spent probably the first six months of having this job and I would tell people, and they would say, "Oh, so you're the new Jeff Passan?" And I would say, "Please don't say that. I yeah. <laughs> not live up to that, please." Do, do you feel <laughs> like? From your brain? Do you feel like in 20 years Jeff Passan will look exactly the same? Yes. I, I I'm convinced that time does not affect him. I know time and stress. Yeah. Like, you don't even like. I'm getting gray hairs, and I've been doing this job for 10 months. Yeah. You know he moisturizes. He's got to yeah. moisturize. <laughs> He's the guy that I always get confused like that? with. Yeah, that's true. Jim. Everybody's always like, uh, if I if I put like a tweet out and it's got a name in it, but it's not like just a stat, it's something else. It's just like, wait a minute. Oh, hey, oh, I thought that was Jeff Passon. Jim Passon. Oh. Yeah, and everybody's just disappointed. 
Yeah. That's how I feel. Everybody's just disappointed all the time. So. <laughs> You're not Jim. <laughs> Um, so I got a, so I have a, I have kind of a, I have two questions because, you know, I kind of feel like I, I've been watching some of your, some of your work since you got to Yahoo. And I, I have two questions, one of which, uh, I want to tackle first. Um, you're a pretty vocal proponent of bandwagoning, yeah. um, in a, in a sport like baseball that is so tribalistic, you know, um, and having experienced the mid 2000s Phillies bandwagon as an out of market Braves fan, I, I have a very sort of wretch reaction to this. But I, I'm curious what's your what's your thought process? What it, what why bandwagoning? You know, so I, could, I could actually talk about this. I think people don't don't believe me that this is as, as people don't believe me two ways. So bandwagon, I I do a show. The show is called the Bandwagon. Um, I pick a new favorite team every week and. Two things about, about that are true. One, people don't believe that it's genuine, and it is. Uh, <laughs> in 2012, my first year out of college, I worked for the commissioner's office that year. The Giants won the World Series, and I became a Giants fan. I have a Tim Lincecum jersey. I have, like, a panda hat. I have a Tim Lincecum bottle <laughs> My dad's gets not home. Um, my parents got me tickets to San Francisco, like, plane tickets to San Francisco for, like, my birthday that year. Like, Full on, I, I, it's, first of all, I'm a big fan of bandwagoning just because I am. Like, it was, like, truly, truly genuine, like, loved the team. Um, it was, like, a, also just a really fun Giants team. Um, True. On the other, okay, the high-minded, this is, like, you're going to not believe me that it's, it's this high-minded, but it is. The high-minded thing about bandwagoning that I say with the show and, and just sort of generally is that uh, <laughs> don't, don't turn this podcast off i think <laughs> that the gatekeeping around fandom is sometimes a way of uh perpetuating the patriarchy and some of the sexism in sports like i think this idea that like some people have a, a some people have a greater right to enjoy the sport than other people do is a way of like excluding fans who have historically not been included um and i find that to be like i find what this is again a very high-minded way of explaining like a silly weekly show that we do um <laughs> like i i wanted to i wanted to sort of challenge all of the things that i feel insecure about sometimes as a female baseball fan uh and one of them was this idea that like oh if i you know can't name the starting lineup of the Phillies from their worst year, then I shouldn't get to enjoy their championship run. And like this idea of like that there are sort of that there are people who get to be arbiters of whether or not you're allowed to enjoy something that is like objectively good. Like that the, is, the that logic is that we always say, like fandom is supposed to be fun. And like if someone like there's the the barrier to entry to sports is supposed to be non-existent. Like it's supposed to be democratic entertainment and like the way that it, you know, brings people together and all of that. And I think this is not like a, you have to bandwagon, but I think that the stigma around bandwagoning often serves to just like keep people out when there's like virtually no reason for that. Like it's like, you know, there's no reason to exclude people from the sporting experience. I also just think that I'm always surprised when people hate bandwagon fans because it's like, oh, I hate that other people who didn't used to think my team was good now think my team is good. And you're like, right. yeah, the team is good. That seems like fun for you. Like you person who is not a bandwagon fan should be very excited that suddenly you are in the cool club. Right. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of. I honestly, I find that fascinating. J Jim, yeah. you, Jim, you were going to say something. I uh, no, I love it. I I think it's great because, like you said, there shouldn't be boundaries on uh, on being uh, involved in the sport. Right. It it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, for me, I like I like hockey. I really do. I play the video games of hockey. Do I have any clue who's playing for the Penguins outside of Sidney Crosby? I mean, it could be Yarmir Yager. If it wasn't for the video game, I. You know, from five years ago, I might not be able to name anybody else, right? I'd probably still think Mark Andre Fleury's the, the goaltender, right? But I don't, I don't know. But the the big thing around here, right? I'm from Montana now, living out in Washington. Is like, well, I've never been to a Penguins hockey game. Uh, I mean, I cheer for them, but Seattle's supposed to be getting an expansion club. 
I, I'm oh. jumping ship. I mean, I, that's yeah. that's my home team now, right? Does it feel like bandwagoning when you're, you know, born and raised as I am with you know Yankees and your second favorite team is whoever's playing the Red Sox, and we can't get away from that, right? My dad's like beat that India, right, um, and whatnot. So now getting to feel that with hockey, it's like I can't wait for him to get here, and so I completely understand because the, the sports for everybody, it's it's to be enjoyed. I, 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 I tend to agree. Like- I tend to agree. I, I, I'm a lifelong Braves fan, but I have always in my entire life had a soft spot for the Oakland A's. And anytime I don't have the patience all the time for Billy Bean and his antics, you know, and I love Billy Bean's antics. But um, I, I have to admit that I am a, I, I'm, a I, I'm a way on board with this. Like the way you just explained it makes me way on board with this. I also think it's like very weird that people. It's like if you if you dis, if you took away the idea of bandwagoning as like a concept that we understood to exist, it would actually be the thing that seems the most genuine. It would be like, are you supposed to like a team because it's the city where your parents birthed you, or should you like a team because you genuinely find them fun and exciting? And it's like, right. can I t- like them because I'm like, like, it's it's you know, everything else is just rooting for laundry. Like if you, (laughs) you should like the team. Like that seems like, that seems like the truest expression of fandom is just to like, be really excited about a team sort of irrespective of like where their locality. Yeah. Okay. So my, yeah, I had a friend growing up. He was a big Pittsburgh, uh, um, Pirates fan up until 1993, and then he became a Giants fan. Well, they got what they deserved. All right, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, he the, just the, he, the, he was a Barry Bonds guy more than he was a baseball. The guy. early just... the early Pirates got every ounce of what they deserved, and don't you take that away from me. <laughs> don't make. But that's just... a good point. So, the, so like players move teams, right? Like, if you want to be, I don't know. Like that's uh, there are, and it's interesting because. Um, Sometimes people ask about like, well, you have favorite teams now that you cover them. And there are lots of people who go the sort of like, okay, totally unbiased, uh, like not going to be a fan of anyone anymore. And I usually say like, no, I just like let myself be a fan of who I genuinely like. Like I pay a lot more attention than I ever have to baseball. And that results in me enjoying some teams more than I ever thought I would. Like, like what? Like who? Um, so I used to always say the example was the Cincinnati Reds because I'm pretty sure that I like spent a cumulative zero minutes thinking about the Cincinnati Reds before I had this job. Just like doesn't ever come up. <laughs> in, in, like uh, they weren't that relevant for a long time. <laughs> they didn't have the National League. Um, and then I, I just I don't know. I like I enjoyed them. I enjoyed talking to them this year. I I found them. I like. Uh, I follow some of them on Instagram now. Like they don't, they don't know me. This is not, like not friends on Instagram. I just like was, I don't know. I, Amir Garrett, who's like a relief pitcher, just oh, I, I I follow Amir Garrett on Twitter. He is he is great. He is. That's what I mean. Like I was just like, oh, cool. I'm into this guy. Like I like his tweets. And then I like started watching the team, and I was like, they were particularly this year. They were better than a lot of bad teams. Yes. Which they were, which is. Sounds like a damning with fame praise situation, but I mean, like in terms of teams that sort of you weren't watching because they were necessarily relevant or or playoff races or whatever, they were like the most fun team to occasionally watch if there was like not a meaningful game on. Um, no, I I agree. I actually wrote and I no you don't in our central preview. Um, it, when we did our off-season preview, I was way into the Reds. I, I feel like they are a team that get, it had a weird season this year and uh, this past season, and I, I think they're a team to watch. Uh, but so, so you adopt, so you sort of adopt these teams based not on locality, but you're sort of like you're just you're looking almost objectively, right, at the, at the yeah. interest of the team. And how I mean, I got. Uh, this is like not I've, I've talked about this before this is not like I'm not like revealing my bias uh, retroactively because everything that's since come out but I got like super into the nationals this postseason run to the extent that like um, there was like one I guess when they were playing the Dodgers in the NLCS mm-hmm. no the NLDS when they yes, yep. NLDS um, I, I like didn't I had a night back in New York where I was not on the road for the postseason and it was like my one night that I like wasn't going to be covering baseball in October, and they happened to be playing the Dodgers out in LA. And I like 
got a Nationals hat and like went to a <laughs> just to like experience being a Nationals fan, even though like, I've, I don't know, I've never lived in DC. I also don't find DC to be a particularly fun city, uh, but I really enjoyed this Nationals team for all the reasons that now everyone, now, now all these reasons sound completely cliche because everyone thinks the Nationals are fun now. Um, but like, I found that it was like fun, I mean, I've never covered a postseason, and it was like fun to add some stakes to it. Like it was completely arbitrary in some ways. Like I don't know. Sure. I have. I, have, I can't influence the game. By the way, this is not. No. I'm not like admitting to tampering by being in that. I was like, <laughs> but it was like, it was. I want. I that was a really fun night just because it's like covering the postseason is really, really stressful and really, really hard and you're on the road a lot and I shouldn't complain about it because who doesn't want to cover the postseason? But, like, it was helpful because, you know, the Phillies weren't in it and the Giants weren't in it. And so to, like, almost remind myself of how exciting it was for it to be a postseason, I needed to be like, okay, imagine that I really, really cared about right. this game. And then they won and it was convenient. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I get to, like, cover that team in in the world series like and like my fandom was like two weeks old at that point but i found that like i found it really helpful and actually refreshing to be like what would it feel like to really be rooting for one of these teams that's like gone all the way to the world series this year have an equity and yeah or like a like a not equity that's not the right word maybe a lifelong stake in the team yeah right like it, I find it fun to pretend to have a lifelong stake in a team just because, like, it helps you to remember and also it helps you to sort of, like, view the game a little bit through the lens of, like, is this a good game for people who have a lot more emotion riding on it than maybe writers do. Ugh. Right. So so with that, like, to you, Adam, right, uh, you go to a baseball game, Braves aren't playing, A's aren't playing, but you're at a baseball game. I mean, for me... I mean, the Yankees are only in town for three games, but I go probably to at least a dozen games a year and catch the Mariners, right? Now, do you wear gear for the Braves? Do you go without any gear at all and just go playing? Um, I, all, I, all day, every day, I wear the Braves. I, I, I shed all form of journalistic objectivity and headiness whenever the Braves are involved. And, and I feel like I make no bones about that. I, I have to. But I, I don't want the only thing, the only team, I, only, I don't have any active hostilities towards other teams. I think that's where it gets kind of uh, yeah. muddied down. I, I will say I, I suffered through the 2008 World Series sitting in a bar watching it in misery. While, but I will also say that my favorite sportscaster of all time is Harry Callis. So, oh, yeah. so I there's oh there's still soft. I remember when they opened Citizens Bank Park, I bought the nosebleed seats and I walked all the way down to the camera well and was heckling Rollins at eye level. <laughs> and so like because nobody cared. It would the 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 Phillies were were a ghost. It was a ghost town. Yeah, on Patterson Avenue, you could just walk straight into the stadium and nobody cared. And I and I feel like. That's to me where where I could absolutely see your point about say you know I I'll, I will double down on the patriarchy and the exclusivity of of fandom uh, where you know the the growing up in Philly there is very few more hostile sports towns than Philadelphia and I always felt like I don't want to do that I yeah. that, you know that's that's lame yeah I highly recommend if you get a chance. Go with no gear and fit in, right? I mean, I'm not asking you to become a Mariners fan if you go to a Mariners game, but I went to Griffey Jr.'s uh, number retirement and Edgar Martinez's re retirement. I mean, entertainment and excitement is is a buzz in the house. And to sit there and be like, it's not my team, it takes it away. It really does. Going just completely impartial, but kind of fitting in with the fans, not quite bandwagoning, but... Oh, it's such a great feel to be able to just set off that other thing to the side. So, you know, if my dad's listening to this, I'm still a Yankee fan. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that patriarchy thing. I, I'm I'm adopting the Hannah Kaiser model. This is this is this is an eye opener for me. Uh, it's also interesting because I think people think like, oh, if you're a fan, doesn't that make you like biased as a writer? But it's like you're never 
you're like if you if you're in that world, it's all individual people. And so it's sort of like I couldn't possibly be biased against an entire team because like there are some people I like on it and some people I don't like. And like, I don't know, probably I'm a little bit biased towards the players I don't like, but it's like, I don't know, everybody's biased towards people you don't like. Like, it's like at that, at that level, there's almost like nothing your bias could even do because right. <laughs> like it, you have to it, go and talk to individual people and you know, you like, don't really care what clothes they're wearing. But you're, 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 you're getting the experience as a fan. You're writing. Who's reading your writing? The fans, right? I mean, you're given the experience. I mean, that's. I don't see why there would be a, a downfall to it at all. Thanks. Yeah, I, I actually agree. This. Um, I, there's one more question I have to ask before we go to a break here. <laughs> there's one more question, and and I I think you know what I'm going to ask you here, but I got I got to lay it on you. Explain to me why the hot dog is, and I'm quoting here, an embarrassment <laughs> to the game of baseball. I don't like beer either. No. <laughs> this is well, that was a great. Yeah, episode. I'll suffer. I'll Actually, suffer through the week, uh, episode seventeen. Yeah, I'll deal with the patriarchy. Undermined my like my whole big like you know baseball journalist of the people. I'm just here to write about the fans thing, but I don't like beer or hot dogs. Okay, hot dogs are too smooth. They're too smooth. This is. Like, you, you, I need you to elaborate on this. Okay, you should not be able to drop meat and then run it under water and clean it off that way. Like, it seems, it's like, the <laughs> it feels like solidified meat pudding. <laughs> that, that's, hey, Jim, if, if we, if, drink on that one, I had to mute. If we ever make it to, like, a, a, a montage-worthy episode, I'm saving that quote yeah. for this. Yeah, sure. This um, is... No, I'm a big fan of hot dogs. Yeah. Although, I did, uh... I did eat a hot dog at one of the postseason games because there's no food in the press box in the postseason. This has so just come up. Are you re, you get out of my head because somebody was just talking about this on Twitter the other day. How the food? I think it was um, um, dude from Detroit. It was a it was a beat writer from Detroit uh, from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, Finnick, Finnick. Uh, yeah, yeah Finnick was just well, talking about this. People hate when we complain about this. But the point is, there's food in the regular season, and then the postseason, there's not food. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Wait. It's hard for us. Um, but yeah, I was in. I was in. I was actually in Nationals Park, uh, and I was so hungry. And the and the postseason, very busy, very stressful. You can't be away from your com- computer for too long. And the closest thing I could find was a hot dog, and I ate a hot dog, which was probably the first time in like 15 years that I ate a hot dog, and it was really good. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wow. <laughs> hungry at that point but i was just like very very quickly ate a hot dog in like two bites wait way to compromise your principles there hannah i mean way to just way to just set it the world was the anti-hot dog lobby was counting on you and you and you let them down yeah um all right we're gonna take a quick break and then when we're gonna come back we're gonna talk about what is i'm sure consuming your life right now and that is the uh astros and all of the silliness around that we'll be right back And we're back. Uh, so, Hannah, we need to talk about we we've, we need to talk about the thing that Jim and I have worked so hard to not talk about, but it has reached such gigantor proportions. We have to talk about it now. Have you really not talked about it yet? We have. We have not. We have. We have not bitten on it. And no, we last week when it was the hot news, we were talking to Lane Adams and we were talking about more like moving up and around about with minor league baseball and major league baseball. And we did everything to stay on topic with that. And then, uh, yeah, completely avoid this as could be, but it just doesn't go anywhere. So yeah. here now, we are. I think we're going to have to, yeah. So sad. Things. That was, uh, that really dominated the news last week and this week and yeah. probably next week so so yeah and, and so at least until the red sox take it over right until the red sox jump in so i, I got it so what what is your what is your overarching take on all of this like you know what what is what is really like you know everybody's got an opinion on this i get that 
but like what you know in in a what is your overarching look at how how are we looking at this now and how are we going to be looking at this in the future yeah i mean i think we are probably more in the middle of it than we even realize Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how we're looking at it now i wrote something about it whatever i wrote a bunch of things about it it's the only thing anyone wrote about last week right Uh, (laughs) but i i sort of said at some point that like it wasn't sort of 2017 or even 2018 or 2019 that was the sign stealing season it'll be 2020 like it'll be uh that we are very much in the middle of it in the sense that like i know that they want the punishments to be deterrence and i'm sure that they will be to an extent but regardless of 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 that um we have taken a thing that was uh, rumors within baseball and made it something that everyone who engages with the sport knows about. And that is what's like the correct metaphor there. Like that's not a thing you can like put back in the bottle. Like this was right. this, the extent to which it's funny. Cause it's like, um, last week is very interesting as the idea of like it boiling over because this, first of all, the story wasn't even published last week. The, the Astros side selling story was published in November. Yes, right. November. Um, and 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 rumors of the Astros stealing signs like long predates that. Um, and teams knew and all of that, but it's it does feel like uh, the like last last week. In fact, last week part of what last week showed us was that last week felt even bigger than when the story initially came out in November. I agree with that. Which just sort of goes to show that like a critical mass of people talking about this and particularly players talking about it because none of them had weighed in really except for Mike Fires until last week that like that that will keep this in the news indefinitely. I mean, this, we, this has been all without any actual baseball. Right. (laughs) I am I'm I'm I am planning my spring training travel now as we mentioned. Uh, I'm sure you can't even guess where I'm gonna start. Like it's oh, like yeah. it's it's interesting to think that like that last week was such a big deal and blah blah blah. And in fact, I ha- we had our I'll like you know here's a little bit behind the scenes. We had our spring training planning meeting today, at <coughs> and one of the things we were talking about was like, are we going to react to every bit of Astros sign stealing news? Because like we're gonna go from it being the off season to suddenly everyone is in camp and all the players are there and all the reporters are there and we're gonna be hit with this like overwhelming wave of like well so and so on this team said this about this one game like we saw a little bit of that last week and it's it's like it's definitely not gonna die down when like games start actually happening and 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 reporters have greater access to 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 players and that was really my main takeaway to last week from last week was like oh yeah like we are going to be we're going to hear every 26th man on the roster's opinion about this (laughs) once clubhouse open do you worry at all like for example like when now that we have enough distance with from us like with us from the the steroid era you know we've got enough distance where we can kind of look at it objectively and calmly admit like we don't know who was really taking what we you know and i'm sure if we went back in time to like 2003 or 2002 and we looked at some of the articles i'm sure there's a a lot of writers out there that thought that didn't age well or maybe like i sh- i wish i could have had a more measured take do you worry about that at all like being having to look back on this in a few years as a writer and think like oof man i really should have waited till 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 you know everything's settled i felt that way um not to like sell out my friends who are journalists i felt that way a little bit actually about or it's not that i feel that way yet I think that we will feel that way. I, I've been saying to people that like the problem is they've created a paradigm in which sign stealing stories are far and away the only currency that your that your bosses care about at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that probably I um I'll, like cautionary tale a little bit. Uh, this isn't even a sign stealing story, but like in the fervor of everything, everyone getting so worked up last week, 
Trevor Bauer said the thing about Mike Trout having a HGH. T- yeah, like a t- a, a, an exemption, a therapeutic God. use exemption for HGH. And, and a reporter who I know tweeted and it was like, that's not true. Like we can, we can check these things before we publicize them. So I don't even know that there's like necessarily a reaction that is wrong. I think it's more the, like the rush to have something to say about this story, particularly, and this, this, right, this feels like a thing that like, it's going to get messy once there's games and once there's spring training. Like, again, this is, like, super hypothetical. No one's done this yet. I'm not subtweeting anybody. But, like, we're definitely going to get some game in which some pitcher gets shelled and he says some sort of, like, oblique comment and someone writes or tweets, like, he thought they were stealing his signs and then he's going to be like, that's not what I said. Like, it's, there's going to be, it's more uh, yeah. than almost, like, in even probably more so than the steroid era because now we have Twitter, uh, the the thirst to say something about sign stealing is going to probably lead people to be like a little fast and loose with like, hey, were they stealing signs? Or it's going to be like... Um, the, the buzzer thing, right? right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. It's going to be like, it's going to be so tempting to be like, I saw something suspicious on someone... Yeah. Well, wasn't it like yeah. and wasn't it like the the thing where somebody actually tweeted went back and found a tweet from 2017 where they're like there's a buzz in the air and it's like this is yeah. not related well let's get to the point where everybody's like well people have been saying and enough people have been saying therefore it's probably something and it's like it's like a hive create- mind they're creating the smoke so that they can pretend that there's a fire right and, i and mean it's crazy part of the problem is or part of the problem that I predict is teams are genuinely paranoid and will be more than happy, I think, to maybe not more than happy, but I think I think the paranoia is so like this is I'm, I'm not sort of whatever, this is not like a, a media criticism because I, it's not like a journalist problem. The the teams themselves, I think, are going to be seeing smoke where there isn't fire. Sure. Like I think they're gonna be getting a situation. God, his name being Mike Fire is just really ripe for puns. <laughs> just smoke too convenient. No um <laughs> like I think we're probably gonna get situations like that. Like the to Jeff Passman's story about the like the guy taking pictures of the dugout that like like that remember that what postseason was that oh. Red Sox taking pictures of the Astros dugout I think or Astros taking pictures of the Red Sox dugout whatever yeah. it was like it was like one team was mad at the other team because there was like a guy in the stands taking pictures of their dugout and that's not even like a that's not even like a oh journalists are going to regret it because they played fast and loose with the facts that's like I mean, that one actually turned out to be true, I think. But I think, like, they're going to be looking for that. Co- like, the teams themselves are going to be right. so paranoid that there's going to be, like, a lot of sort of, like, well, that turned out to be nothing. Like, right. you maybe should not have, like, lambasted that, like, grandma in center field with her <laughs> binoculars or whatever. Like, she probably wasn't stealing signs. <laughs> Do you, do you it's going to th- be so hard to get to pure baseball again, where we just feel like it's a pure game. But it's hard to get everybody back on board of saying, okay, I believe that everything's on the up and up. I wanted to ask you, Hannah, too. And I, by the way, I agree with you 100%, Jim. It's like the, the, the cat's out of the bag. Um, I, I wonder if um, you work for the league office. I have often been very critical of Rob Manfred. I kind of think he's a little bit, and I, we're on a we're on a non journalistic podcast. So I kind of feel like he's a soulless robot. Um, <laughs> and so when I will give credit where it's due, though, and I feel like Rob Manfred handled this, and I wrote about this. I I feel like he handled this rather deftly by not punishing the players and going head up with the players union on the way to labor negotiations. Yeah. I mean, I'm not so sure that that was, it's funny. Cause I, I don't know that I hate Rob Manfred as much as everybody does. Um, I, which has nothing to do with the fact that I once worked in their publications department for three yes, months. I'm not, not insinuating yeah. anything there, by the way, <laughs> like I have to be very um, clear. <laughs> I don't know that that was deft so much as it was 
like kind of the only option. They couldn't do 25 or 40 like grievances. And they, I think it would have been so hard, if not impossible to parse. Like, I think if you punish one player, you have to punish every player. Like they, you can't wade into the waters of trying to like litigate the guilt of individual players. Like they're just not prepared to do that from like a, from a practical level let alone whether or not they could do that. Like that would have the firestorm of like fires storm. Yeah, exactly. Of like Bregman is suspended 60 games and Altuve is suspended 180 games. Like what, like what, they're not going to be able to do that. They can't suspend. And so then, and then coupled with like, they can't do grievances. So they would have, I mean, they, they had a, they, I mean, they explicitly made a deal with the union not to punish the players because they can't do 25 or 40 grievances. Uh, they can't do all that in an, I mean, the deft part is the fact that they wanted to wrap this up. Right. Like, if they had to get through grievances for every single person who played for the Astros in 2017. It would you know, be like 2025 before it yeah, finally got settled. For a long, long time. Yeah, what are you going to do? Punish Marwin Gonzalez and the 2020 Twins? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. It's true. Like, it's like, it would have, it would have also created a situation in which um, it affected the experience of fans. Sure. Which I assume that they were, like, if you punish all of the Astros, like what does that even look like as a baseball team in 2020? Right. And like, they're a good team who draws fans. They were in the World Series last year. They can't be like, sorry, Houston, you're not fielding a team this year. They're all serving suspension. And and now that we've seen the result of what happened with that deal, right? Now, basically every player that said, okay, you tell me the story and you come clean, you got immunity basically, right? And the result ended up becoming Hinch and Luna, right? There, there goes two years right there, which eventually cost them their job moments later in in, in time. Basically, it seemed like moments. Um, thing was so now you got the Red Sox thing on top of it, right? You know that if they offer that same deal, do the players shut up this time, knowing that hey, you know, I got a manager and a general manager on the line here, and I like them. Yeah, well, they don't have a manager anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't know how loyal they are to their brand new general manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah the other GM's gone, so it doesn't yeah, really matter there, I guess, right? Yeah. I, I wonder. I wonder if you think like, so you know, the tangled webs we weave, right? It, it you know, it, it kind of does back up what you're saying, where like we talk about like the silliness of the Los Angeles City Council trying to not only just abdicate. You know, the titles, but like reaward them to the Dodgers, which nobody wants. But I, I do wonder, like, you know, if is there really a way to punish the players, you know, without going, like I was saying, head up with the union and yeah. just really opening up the massive unwanted can of worms here? Yeah, I don't know. I think there isn't. I mean, it is a problem. I think it's a problem because, um, Unlike steroids, you can't prove a negative. So you, you can't prove, like with steroids, you can test everybody, and if they test clean, you let them keep playing. With sign stealing, right, it's like if the Red Sox were stealing signs, do you suspend everyone who was on that team, even if they're now on some other team, and like, and now that team suffers, like even though they're not, like it's, it's a bizarre, it is like a, it is, and that I actually think is the way in which it is almost trickier to deal with than steroids because because of that, because of the because of the sort of like, so does Houston not get a baseball team in 2020 problem or the like, you know, if you played on the 2017 Astros, are you suspended even if you're on the 2020 Mets and like, right. <laughs> what are the Mets supposed to do with that? Like, it feels like their punishments to a dark cloud that hangs over the players that were on that squad to me yeah it'll be really really interesting i mean it'll be really interesting to see how other players react to them um um do you do you feel like you know how other players react you know that that's a good point we do we've seen the videos from you know um uh clevenger you know and and all these guys when these contracts run out I'm one, I'm thinking about say Carlos Correa. I'm thinking Jose Altuve. I'm thinking Alex Bregman. If these guys ever go to free agency, 
Like, do they? That's got to really negatively affect their their outlook at this point, right? Like, is this going to be a social? Is this going to end up being a sort of like social justice, like a vigilante justice? That's the word, vigilante justice situation. I don't know. I mean, those guys are so talented, but I do. I mean, we'll see how they do this year. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, it's it's still the same link that employs Osuna and Chapman. You know, right, so. Yeah, exactly. Like, Ultimately, I think, a good point. Yes. I think the idea of like our team's not going to want to sign them isn't true. I do wonder. I mean, I've been sort of joking about this with people whenever I talk to people in baseball about it. Sort of since this this story broke, I've been sort of like. What do you do if you're on the 2017 Astros and you get traded? You like tell your new team, you're like, sorry, I can't, I can't hit unless I know what's coming. Like, or you let them be disappointed when you're worse. Like, so I that I I don't think that the issue will be that people are like, oh, those guys are some bad eggs. I have no idea, and this is like, I don't know, don't don't. This is one of those like, is this gonna age well? I don't yeah. know. Will these guys be worse this year? We'll find out. Supposedly right. they weren't stealing signs in 2019, so I guess they're pretty good even without the signs. That, they're that, pretty that, good in the road. That's what yeah. we keep coming back to, too. And I, and I wonder, and this is this is what I, I keep coming back to when we were talking about, you know, the, the will this age well? Like, will we ultimately look back on this and think, man, we were really mad for a little bit, but this didn't really, and you know, didn't really affect. When we look back on this in, in years, is this, this didn't really affect any uh, too much of anything. I think... Um, and credit to Ken and Evan for the Astros story. I think that if we be careful and not slander any baseball teams here, um, I think the Astros were probably the most egregious. Mm-hmm. And so that story coming out first gives it legitimacy in a way that like, I think the Astros allegations will hold up as whoa that was really bad i think we might find out that other teams were doing not quite as bad i don't know this to be true i don't know I, this is like this is this is the problem being a national baseball writer i'm always worried that people are going to be like they said there's nothing no. else out there whatever i have no idea if the yankees <laughs> have like i don't know the yankees could be wearing buzzers for all i know i don't know they're not yeah. <laughs> but like but I, I i so that is just to say that like not yet. My 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 final answer on are we going to look back on all this and think that was crazy is not with anything that's happened yet, but like I am cautiously pessimistic that this will in fact become a kind of witch hunty like oh every little infraction is now like big news and everyone wants every player to be suspended for every like that's that's what i'm saying like i don't think yeah i don't think what the astros did is no big deal i think what the astros did is in fact a big deal they intentionally and systemically and with you know understanding from from coaching staff as well as players rigged their stadium to cheat yes that that is they knew they were breaking the rules i think if we find out that like I don't know. Some like if if some replay room monitor goes on the record being like one time someone came into the replay room to check out the signs and like right. that's what I'm saying. Like that's I think not yet, but like yeah, maybe at some point we'll decide that like we've taken this a little too far. Right. I wonder I feel, go ahead, Jim. I feel like this the the, the chance of it lasting longer as a stain on the game is that if we truly get done with this offseason and the only two teams that are punished are world series champions i think that's enough to catch the eye of not just the the diehard baseball fans or the ones that you know love the game i mean my work alone I, nobody likes baseball they know i love it they know what i do but all week this week right it's like Hey, what's the deal with the sign stealing thing? I thought that was no big deal. It's like, yeah, you know, it, it even it's hitting that far out. And when it's hitting championship teams, I think if that's the only teams that get punished, I don't know if this thing, I, this might be worse than the steroid area to me, era to me. But that's part of what I mean. Like, I think it's like we're saying that the Astros and the Red Sox, allegedly for the Red Sox, cheated in the years that they won the World Series. I don't think we're overstating that. 
if we start to dig up every little potential allegation of someone like using video feed inappropriately, we might get to a level of like, yeah, all right, fine. If they were all doing it, whatever. But like, right. Right now, yeah, it seems like a pretty big deal. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah, and that's that's what I, I I find myself trying to balance wanting want, wanting to give it the proper gravity, but then also not to end up looking back on this and, you know, thinking like, all right, well, look, it turns out like you said, it turns out everybody was doing it the whole time anyway, and the Astros were just the most egregious uh, case of it. So best case scenario for baseball is that it gets worse from the period. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and so and I do wonder, you know, like the 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 gist of the article that I wrote about it was more like, okay, that we're going to need some time and space from this. The last thing what worries me the most about all of this is that we're going to roll this straight into a strike. Like if that, if that were to happen, I feel like that would, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but that is like in the back of my head, we're going to go from a, from a scandal straight into the work stoppage. I'm sorry, Jim, Jim, stay with me, dude. I'm going to let Jim react first. Yeah. <laughs> like no, I, I just took my headphones off. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. Yeah. If this thing ends up in a strike and this is on top of it all, um, I'm not saying this will cause it. I'm just saying, like, no. could, I really don't want this to be like a one-two punch leading into this whole thing. I think it just if it adds to it, right? I mean, look what it took to get out of the last strike. I mean, it took steroids to get out of the last strike, and I think we people forget how often baseball stories supplant each other. Um, True, <laughs> like. The strike is further, the strike, the end of the CBA is further away than we realized. Two more seasons until the CBA expires. And so I think, I don't see an end to, I don't know how, I don't know how these, the obsession with sign stealing ends, but I'm also not willing to say that we won't figure out something to distract us. Right. <laughs> the end of 2021, because God, if there is, the one thing I learned in one year of baseball coverage is that all the time I'd be like, okay, all right, so this is what this year's about. And then, like, <laughs> the next week there would be, like, you know, 15, gotcha. six baseball games. <laughs> be like, okay, never mind. There's a whole new storyline. So right. there'll be plenty of storylines before the new the CBA. Which is not to say we will not get a strike, but there's, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I And I think that's totally valid. I think that's me sort of reaching into the deepest depths of, like, my concern for the for the well-being of the game. It's probably a stretch. Um, so anyway, it's like, the, it's like the biggest fear, right? For, I don't know, baseball fans anyway, because it, once the season's over and the world series is done, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm all right with the hot stove. I'm all right with winter meetings and everything else, but nothing replaces guys on the field running around chasing a ball and smacking it over the fence. That's what I mean. Like, it, I mean, right. So we're being all very sort of doom and gloom now, but like, we're going to play a lot of baseball and there's going to be like a, a team that's good and fun and funny and interesting and everyone will bandwagon them. And then that's right. And further validating your point. Well, um, that's as good a place to leave it as any on a, on a, you know, potential strike speculation. That's exactly where I wanted to, this one to go. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, Hannah, look, this, uh, this has been absolutely a pleasure. Uh, we would, it's been a great time talking to you and, uh, please, uh, check out Hannah's work at yahoosports.com. Uh, what is your Twitter handle, Miss Hannah? You can follow me at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H-R. My middle name is Rose R. Kaiser, K-E-Y-S-E-R. Hannah R. Kaiser on Twitter. And Jim, you are? Uh, at Passon Jim, P-A-S-S-O-N-J-I-M, not Jeff Passon's brother or anything like that. So, But you can find me there, as always, doing the same old, same old. And you can find me uh, much further down the number of followers list at Adam C. Mack, or you can find the blog at romanticaboutbaseball.com, or you can follow you can follow uh, the podcast on Stitcher, you know, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, the whole nine yards. Thank you again, Hannah, for joining us. And yes, thank we, you. We would uh, love to have you back anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.